pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu rou pian. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hola, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef at the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And my guest today is an entrepreneur, artist, and ice cream making expert, creator of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She attended Ohio State University to study art history and fine arts. In college, she started to make her own perfumes and creating different ice creams with essential oils. Author of three cookbooks, which has led to multiple awards, included a James Beard Award in 2012. Jenny's Ice Splendid Ice Creams have over 45 stores throughout the United States. And thanks to them, I've gained at least 10 pounds last year just on ice cream. Jenny Bauer, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be with you. How are you today? I am doing great. We have a rainy day, which is, it's one of those really beautiful rains. So it's okay. It's one that brings out the scent of, you know, springtime mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's actually really beautiful. So I'm doing so great. <laughs> two important questions, Jenny, before we start. Have you ever mm-hmm. been to Portugal? No, I haven't. You know, I was supposed to go last year, actually. Interesting that you say. And then of course, because of the pandemic, it, it got canceled. So I'm going to need to reschedule that. Do you know any Portuguese words? No, I don't. Do you, you, know, how say, do you know how to say ice cream in Portuguese? Um, no, but is it related to gelado? Gelado, yeah, it's pretty similar. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry, that's why I have to offer the, my country. Um... <laughs> How old were you, if you remember, when you made your first ice cream and which flavor was it? Well, I made a peach ice cream with my grandmother when I was a kid on her back porch. You know, it's funny. I actually, <laughs> I remember thinking... It was the first time I had made homemade ice cream and everybody told me how I was just going to go crazy because it's so good. And all I could think was, it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny to me because even now, I, it's, it's one of the number one things that people tell me, like the memories that we all have of making, you know, churning ice cream. But I loved Haagen-Dazs. I, we had a Haagen-Dazs store. I lived in Peoria, Illinois, which is a small town in central Illinois. And we had a haagen store, which is pretty cool, actually. And man, I loved that ice cream. But yeah, I wasn't so impressed with the uh, kind of icy ice cream that came out of that machine. <laughs> and nowadays, what's your favorite ice cream flavor, if you have one? Well, out of the ones that I make, um, it's the brown butter almond brittle. And that is inspired by Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl grew up in Norway and wrote about his favorite ice cream when he was an adult. You know, his he was writing about when he was a child and I read that and then made this ice cream. So it's, um, um, but it's really like a butter toffee almond, very uh, Norwegian, kind of Scandinavian, you know. Your journey was not always easy. In fact, you had other ice cream company before, Screams, and you've heard a lot of no's even when you tried to apply for farmer's markets and all of that. Can you explain a little bit the process, how you got into the ice cream business, what happened back then, and eventually how do you create Jenny's ice cream? Yeah. And uh, as you said, this is, you know, it's a long journey. And so now when I look back, I'm looking back 26 years. It's a long time ago, which is so interesting. Uh, Every year that goes by, I, you know, because you're gaining every year more and more story and experience. And so when I look back now, I think how grateful I am that I had the whatever it took 
to drop out of school and pursue this passion that I had, this dream that was beginning. It was just seed that was growing in me. But I was um, studying basically everything I wanted to at Ohio State University. It's a massive university, one of the top, maybe top two in size in the United States. And uh, so what's really cool about those big universities is that you can like they have classes on everything. So I would take vampire history or various anthropology and folklore classes, um, a lot of art history, a lot of folklore, a lot of uh, history, and then also a lot of fine arts because I grew up in my grandmother was an art teacher. And I was trying to figure out what I was actually going to do, you know, for career, knowing that at some point I had to stop just, you know, going to school and, and I had to go work somewhere. But I had been working at a French pastry company and the family was French and I was learning about these flavors. I've been working there since high school and I really, really loved them. And all of the French students, grad students and students would come um, have, you know, very dark roast coffee and smoke cigarettes in the bakery every day. And so it was just this place of like conversation and um, learning. And I sort of, uh, I met this guy named Julian who was French and he was in chemistry at Ohio State. He was a, a grad student doing a lot of work in scent. And so once I met him, I, I started to really think about scent because I'm very connected to my sense of smell, realized the connection between flavor and scent and that it's mostly scent, what we experience. And that changed my whole life. It wasn't long after that, that I started making ice creams, understanding that uh, butterfat is kind of a, a platform for scent. And I, I, I like to say that I understood this because I had been in a time of curiosity and I was pursuing everything that interested me. So it was pastry. I was reading all the books on ancient perfuming. So I understood how fat carries scent and how melting points affect that. And I'd been listening to some of the people in the chemistry department talking about these things. So I was putting this all together. I was also begging them to let me work in the kitchen. And they they did that. They let me work there every once in a while, which was really cool. Mostly I worked in the front. And so all of these things came together. When I made my first ice cream and tasted it, it was like the sky opened up. All of the things that I'd been studying, practicing, pursuing, that was the crossroads. And I knew it immediately, which is why I love to tell young people, follow every curiosity you have, because eventually it leads to this place where you can create a vision and uh, around your passion or something that all of the things that you're interested in. And that was ice cream for me. So once I made that first ice cream at home, and actually what I did was I took a Bulgarian rose uh, essential oil, which I had saved up to buy because it's very expensive. And I mixed it into a vanilla bean ice cream. I actually just took a vanilla ice cream that I bought at the store and mixed in the rose petal. So I was using ice cream, already made ice cream to carry scent. That was the beginning. And it's funny, you've mentioned scent a couple of times, actually. And I've read one time that you believe ice cream is the perfect carrier of scent. Why is that? Well, actually, it's it's butterfat, which is so, so perfect. So butterfat melts a couple of degrees below body temperature and not all fats, like every fat has a different melting point. Um, so I like to explain this to people by, you know, we've all had like a lip balm that has too much cocoa butter in it. And so it doesn't glide on your lips. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about cocoa butter, which is the fat from chocolate, you know, it has a very different melting point or coconut oil, which has, which hardens to a very brittle uh, texture uh, at a pretty low temperature, at a pretty high temperature, I mean. And so all fats are different and then how they how they melt and how quick the rate of melt is, dif is different in every fat. Butterfat happens to be perfect. Like, and it will 
you know, hold on to scent on a molecular level, it'll hold on to that scent. You can lock it in, of course, then you freeze it. As soon as it hits your warm body, it relaxes immediately. And all of that scent blooms into your olfactory, both, you know, retro nasally. And then, you know, all you, you end up like smelling your breath, you know, in a way, mm -hmm. but it's like, that's what it's about. All food is like this, but, um, but ice cream is really perfect for it. And so when you think about vanilla, chocolate, peppermint, coffee, these are all scents that we're, we're sort of loading into ice cream, into the butterfat of ice cream. Your ice creams, they have a very distinct flavors. It's not your quote unquote traditional. Do you get put off when people just say like, oh, I just love vanilla ice cream. You'd be like, oh, really? There's so many things. No, <laughs> I don't. Because I think that, you know, the work of an ice cream maker is to transport people. And whether that's back in your own life to a place of safety or, you know, to a place of adventure, that's what it is. And so, you you know, it's it's and we all want something different every day. Right. So I'm, I will go to vanilla. I mean, vanilla is a beautiful, the more, you know, about vanilla, the more you appreciate it. But, um, but I will absolutely have a vanilla day and then the next day have a, a more adventuresome day. And so I, I just think that that lives inside all of us. And, um, and I just, it's part of the fun, I think, of being an ice cream maker. I was talking with Phil Rosenthal here. A month ago. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he's, he's amazing. And I told him a story. So back when I used to live in Portugal, there was this lady, I was about eight years old, and this lady used to make ice creams in her basement just for fun. She didn't have a store. So the village kind of knew that she made ice cream. So everybody will go there on a Saturday morning and you would pay. It was unlimited scoops for, I don't know, $3. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly business savvy, but I remember I, it was always me and my best friend. And I, I tried the papaya flavors and the kiwi flavors and da, da, da. And he normally would have eight scoops of chocolate ice cream. That was it. Wow. <laughs> he has eight wow. scoops of chocolate ice cream. And, he, and we kept saying like, oh, try at least a little bit of, you know, strawberry and chocolate is good. No. So it was eight scoops every Saturday. That was what he wants. We have, <laughs> we have, we have many customers like that. We had a customer that came in. I worked, by the way, at the market in my farmer's market stand between my two businesses for 10, eight to 10 years before we really ever started growing. So I have so much experience, which I, I lean on all the time of serving customers and listening and learning, which I think is so important in um, entrepreneurship and in creating and in art and, and, you know, being a chef. I mean, whenever you're creating something for somebody, knowing how people work with your stuff is, is important, how they in, engage and interact. But yeah, we've had, we have, you know, we had this one customer that came in literally every day for about four years and beyond. And he was four scoops of strawberry buttermilk. And then we only had that in the summer on a waffle cone. And it was like, like every Saturday, it was what it, when it was when he came in actually, and we expected it, and he would pop in, and we're like, I don't know what he's doing with all this ice cream, but four scoops. He's the only customer that I ever knew with four big scoops, not because we do like little half scoops in our shops too, so that you can divide a scoop and have more than one flavor. And he's like, no, four no. full scoops. <laughs> my first job, actually, I was fifteen. I work at an ice cream place, and me too. <laughs> my favorite flavor, and in the U.S., I haven't seen the way they made back in Portugal tiramisu. And that layer of cocoa powder on top. So I will not. So after a while, you got to scoop it. What's already in there. So I didn't like that. But the very first scoop was always mine because then you get the cocoa powder. You get all that creaminess. It was tiramisu ice cream. It was my favorite, favorite, favorite ice cream. Well, and when you make ice creams, I'm imagining that that's more in that sort of gelato style, which mm -hmm. is served at a warmer temperature. And so when you make it like that and they're more shallow, you can do those fun things with the top. Exactly. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah. It, it was delicious. So I talk about the the flavors, you know, from brumbleberry crisp to wildberry lavender. In total, you have around 70, 27 flavors. 
if you had to describe your personality in one of your ice cream flavor, which one would be and why? Oh gosh. Um, wow. Which one would it be? I don't know. That's such a great question. I mean, I actually think it might be the lemon buttermilk because it's, it's actually the simplest flavor that we make. It's the one that uh, I've never gotten. I've made since the 1990s. It's just fresh squeezed lemon juice, lots of lemon juice, very, very tart, of course, cream and milk, but a lot of buttermilk and a little bit of yogurt and the buttermilk like thickens the cream kind of like creme fraiche creates this incredible texture uh, without stabilizers, emulsifiers or any thickeners at all. It's just got this incredible creamy texture, even though it's really tart and you can really taste the buttermilk, but I like that, um, that it's sort of almost shockingly tart and that it has a scent. It's multi-level extraordinarily simple, but in those, that simplicity is the complexity. Right. And I think that, um, I would like, let's say, I would like to think that that would be, uh, uh, something that could describe me. <laughs> Going from a more controlled ish, small production to a bigger one, were you afraid of losing the quality of your product? And what did you do to safeguard the quality? Well, lots of things, but yes and no, I was, um, you know, it's really hard to make ice cream, especially how we are, you know, how we do it. And uh, it takes a lot to do it. So I was really looking forward to either, you know, buying million dollar machines, $2 million machines, and then like, you know, creating this, this incredible uh, place of ice cream making or working with someone who had those machines. So, uh, so we could get the viscosity just right, exactly what we were looking for. And it's really complicated because actually we, we get it at a higher viscosity. So it doesn't go through the pipes of normal, like American machinery. So it's like, you know, we have to, we, we had to really work with that, but, um, but I really wanted most of the time, I wanted to play around with homogenization pressures and um, pasteurization temperatures and all of that stuff. And so we're at a place now where, where the quality really comes from that, from, from the quality of dairy that we're working with and then how we're treating it, or let's say not treating it because we're not starting with already pasteurized milk and cream. And so those things are really important. And then, you know, you just, as an entrepreneur, you know, it's never perfect, right? You're always like, okay, well, one day I'm going to get the team that's going to help me with all of this stuff. But first you got to make the money to get the team. And, you know, you do that. So it's a long, it's a long road, but you just set those standards. So we're going to work with strawberries from the Hirsch family. We're going to do that. And, uh, and sometimes the nature doesn't cooperate. So what is our backup plan? Right. So we're going to have a backup plan and, and we'll be able to, so we, we can always support that family and their amazing strawberries. And then we can also make sure that we have enough strawberries to get through production. Um, and then how do we do that? Well, we have to have someone offsite process those strawberries because we can't bring farm fresh stuff in our kitchen. Um, okay. Well then let's solve that problem. But, but we start with our values and our, which is, you know, our quality values and how we do it and our recipes. And then we just work backward from that. And luckily we've been able to, you know, to, to charge what we need to charge to do this amazing work. And in some cases work with our farmers to say, we're going to sell a whole bunch of this ice cream. So let's work backward and let's make sure that we can get it at whole foods, for instance, for seven 99 a pint, exactly. but let's only do it with this flavor. And then we can be more flexible with the other flavors. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's all sorts of little knobs that we can tweak um, behind the scenes to get, to make sure that the quality is always beautiful and not just beautiful, but getting better. So I was afraid of it, but also, I also was excited that I think we could get better. And we have without question. 
listening to you talk now about a lot of these processes, sometimes we go to a grocery store and we buy a pint of ice cream for $7, $6, anything like, ooh, that's expensive. But people don't have the fully awareness of what's behind, right? Because that's why sometimes they say like, ah, I'm just going to buy a $2 whatever ice cream. And do you think people just need to have more information? Because it's one of those products since have been for a long time. People just think like, eh, the cheapest you don't really taste that, that much of a difference. Being in a business now, it's a huge difference, right? So when if it does cost six and seven dollars, it might be for a reason. Yeah, I mean, pleasure is derived from what you believe about something. And so and that's like scientific, you know, proof fact or whatever. So um, there is an element of if you have a business and you want to do something, it's on you to help people understand the value in that. Ultimately, I would say if you whatever you love is the right answer. But just like poetry or coffee or chocolate or anything else, uh, paintings, um, art, the more you know, the more pleasure you can derive from something. And so we want to be the company where there's a lot to know, right? So if you want, you can, you can learn about what buttermilk does to the fat there. And then once you know that, now you're feeling it. Now, you're, now you see how it's like, you feel how it's blooming that, that lemon the, the, the scent from the lemon zest in addition to the tart from the, the juice. And if you, you know, if you want to go on that journey, it's here for you. And I think people really are responding to it. I mean, thinking about, you know, how we've grown over the years, but at our own pace, you know, I think some people, it's funny because I think some people think that we were like kind of just launched. I mean, we've been at this for a really long time, but, but never with the idea that we were going to grow so big, so fast. I mean, it's, you know, but we were, but you can buy our ice creams in all the whole foods across the United States, which is so cool. And they're selling really well. So I do think that, that people are on it. And then the other thing I would say is that anything to do with dairy is artificially like um, we have an artificially low opinion about it or something like that because of the um, subsidies or, or whatever it is. I mean, the idea that you could buy a gallon of milk for $3 is proof of that. Right. I mean, uh, we're fine to pay for coffee, which is a dry bean that people have just, you know, imported and roasted versus what it takes to bring a gallon of milk to life. And we should be paying for those ingredients that should be considered somewhat of a luxury for us, I think. And because especially when we're doing it right and trying to do it in the most delicious and also in many cases, more sustainable ways. And so when you think about what we are willing to pay $8 for I me, mean, I um, love the $8 jar of tomato sauce. I make my own tomato sauce, of course, all the time, but sometimes I just need something fast and it's the, you know, and I'm completely fine with that because I understand that it's delicious and it's worth it to me. And I think that for some reason in ice cream, people think it should be like throwaway. And then this is true in restaurants too. I mean, I feel like, you know, um, I, across the nation, I've, I just feel like the, the ice cream is like the last thing it's to think about. I mean, not in the highest level restaurants. Yeah. I, we have, I live close to Alexandria and I think they have the second uh, oldest farmer's market in the United States. And it's one of those things that when you go by there, a lot of people say like, ah, yeah, you know, I like the place, but it's expensive. But I always tell them like, try a peach, for instance, you know, there's this company actually, I think they come from Pennsylvania and they sell there every Saturday. Just, just try one peach and then go to the store and buy a peach, right? In a store, it's like a lottery, almost like one out of 10 might be good. Sometimes can be a little better, but in the farmer's market, it's, it's just good. So the quality is much better. Yes, you pay for, for more, but when you appreciate, right, the story behind and the hard work behind and when you taste it, it's worth it. I, you forget, at least I do. I forget, oh, yeah, this peach might have been, you know, slightly more expensive than if you bought it in the store. 
Yeah, and you mentioned an important point, and that is story. We really just we are the stories that we tell ourselves and other people every day. And so, yeah, you know, most of us are going to go to the grocery store. We don't, you know, we've got we've got to just take, you know, we're just going to ignore that part of it. Just go to the grocery store, get the things we need. But sometimes we're going to go to the farmer's market. We're going to listen. We're going to absorb. And that's going to become us. And so when you hold that peach in your hand and you had just talked to somebody who, you know, had a role in in farming that peach or bringing it to market, it means something. And I just think that meaning is what is pleasure. It's joy. And looking at a peach and finding so much joy in that and sunshine and nature, like there is just nothing better than that. And so respecting life and ourselves and nature and how we all link together, that's to me what the farmer's market can also be about, you know, and in addition to then you get to take a bite, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's that appreciation moment of life that can bring so much happiness and joy that nothing else can. When you create your flavors, how do you come up with the flavors for your ice cream and where does your inspiration come from? Because I know you talk about farmer's market and I know you love farmer's markets. And do you believe your time in college studying art history and fine art somehow connects with your inspiration? Yeah, uh, what, I, what I love about ice cream all over the world is that the ice cream makers in different places um, have, um, they sort of reflect the community that they're in, that sort of values and ethos of the community, but also their own creativity. And that is what's so much fun about ice cream. Ice cream truly is a platform to to create. And so I absolutely use, I mean, I am 100% inspired by history, color, of course, art, poetry. I mean, I I think about poetry all the time because we're removing non-essential things from everything we do, right? It's that editing. And yeah, I'm, I'm inspired by definitely ingredients and, and what's, you know, what we can grow. Sometimes my, you know, the, the growers will bring us ideas of what they want to grow and then we'll just try it in a year. But also I think I find the most inspiration, I think, from people's, other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So that's where the farmer's market comes in, but also just traveling and listening. And then of course that brings us to nostalgia because I like to hear what people how people sort of, uh, how nostalgia plays out in other people's lives. I'm from the Midwest and, you know, that's just such a, a beautiful place to me. I actually think about it a lot. Like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, it's like the Shire. It's like this really like, <laughs> like casual and friendly and helpful place. So I love to get out to communities that might be louder or more boisterous or, you know, have different things and then listen to what, how people define nostalgia in different places, not just in America, but beyond too. You were talking about poetry and I just remember, so I'm just going to pitch an idea here, uh, Jenny on the record. So in Portugal, we, we, we have, we celebrate a lot of saints. It's big parties. Uh, Everybody goes out on the street and people eat sardines and this and that. And one, for instance, they give you always like, it's like a little small basil basically, but it's like in in a clay pot, but quite, quite dense. And in everyone on top always has a poem. So everybody like shares what they pro what they have. So, you know, one day, Jenny, I'm just saying, special edition of an ice cream. Every ice cream will have a poem, and what does that mean? And just a small one. It's a cute idea. I don't know. It's so cute. Yeah. No. And I'm so. Um, I just I just love poetry so much. It's really a metaphor for so many things for me. So just in general. And so yes, I that the fact that there is, you know, a festival or whatever that involves poetry means yeah. that I must get there. <laughs> Ice cream seems to hold a special place in the heart of most Americans. Why do you think that is? And did that lead you to want to make ice cream? 
Absolutely. The first ice cream shop opened in America, I think it was in Philadelphia, but there's another one in New York City in like 1767. So this has been here since America became, you know, America, America. In, <laughs> as we know it. Mm -hmm. And it's been along for that journey. So when you look and really reflected what America is about, I mean, the first ice cream machine, actually still the technology we use today, was created by a woman named Nancy Johnson in 1846. There are tons of immigrant stories, formerly enslaved people who inspired the best ice cream in Philadelphia or Dolly Madison, who ends up getting credit for it. But like, you know, there were other these stories behind it, which are so incredibly interesting. And so we can actually go back and we're like uncovering even more history in general across America and across the world. This history is such an interesting place right now to be doing work, because obviously our history informs who we believe we can be and who we are. And our histories are not being told authentically right now. And so there's so much amazing things with history. But when you look at ice cream, at some point, it really starts to pick up in the, the 19th to 20th century. And it like every decade, it just reflects what's going on in the wider culture in America, whether it's like good humor or eventually Baskin Robbins. There's a whole California ice cream scene in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. I mean, they had these massive soda fountains, like 1200 seats. And these soda jerks, they called them because they were like soda fountain thing, you know, movement that you have to do. And they were like rock stars in communities. And what's so interesting, I, I, I really could go on forever about this, but what's so interesting is that these um, the trends that were started in, you know, you might be in Birmingham with your the soda fountain there in the earlier 20th century uh, would start some trend of some uh, offering or whatever. And it would travel city to city so rapidly. I mean, we think that the internet has like increased communication, but when you look back and see how like these tiny town uh, soda fountains would be impacting trends across America within weeks or days uh, because of how the word would travel from person to person, from city to city. I mean, it's just so cool to see, but you know, ice cream was just, I think the point is just, it's just been there. It's been there as a reflection, which is, which gets back to the point of every ice cream maker has this, like, it's like the creativity um, that reflects the time in which they live and then the culture and their own personality. But I do think that that's why it's just that, um, you know, when you get to the, you see Ben and Jerry's come in in the seventies and eighties and really pick up. It's just a reflection of that. Now that kind of stopped for about 20 years. I mean, there was kind of a gelato thing in America, but it never really picked up. And so then you see kind of what we're doing become the main thing uh, maybe a a few years ago it's, and it's still very much picking up, but it, but for some reason it sort of stopped. And I think it has something to do with, well, I have a lot of opinions of why that happened, but I mean, it has to, to do with distribution and uh, people kind of got away from ice cream for a little bit, but it's back. It's and now we have a president who loves ice cream. So see, perfect. Yeah, that's true. The perfect time to be an ice cream maker. The last time you ate ice cream, not for sample purposes, because you might do that, but just the last time you had ice cream. I mean, yesterday, I haven't had it yet today. I eat ice cream every day, Sorry. <laughs> sometimes twice a day. <laughs> I made a, um, I made a plum pie. The plums are really, you know, kind of not, not great right now, but they're very tart. And I love that because mm -hmm. I don't put too much sugar in the pie. And then what happens is you get this very tart plum pie. And so that's perfect with vanilla ice cream. So I had just vanilla ice cream or the lemon ice cream. I've had that this week too on the, on the pie. I, yeah. So shifting the conversation a little bit here. Imagine you can go to an island. Okay, Jenny? Do you have an island you really love? Okay, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm picturing one. <laughs> You're picturing one. Picture that one. It's all for you. For you and your loved ones. You can go mm -hmm. there. You can take one protein, one veggie, one fruit, and one dessert. 
what do you take? The dessert, I'm I'm almost sure what you're going to take, but let's start with the protein. What do you take? Um, I think I'm taking, I think I'm just taking an, like an incredible steak, but I mean, it has to be like how it's, how it's prepared. So it has to be like charred and just like perfect and amazing fatty and, you know, all of that. Okay. The vegetable you take to that island with you. Oof, I'm such a vegetable person. Um, probably cauliflower. The fruit. Oof, and I, I'm a fruit person too. I mean, like I, I'm blueberries, it's blueberries. I mean, I eat even in the winter. The winter, this winter has been pretty good with blueberries and and um, yeah, blueberries. And dessert? Yeah, I mean, it's gonna have to be ice cream. Yeah, you're like, you're not going to say like, right? You have to say ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna, I'm not a cake person or, or whatever, but like, yeah, no ice cream. What was your first memory of taste? Oh, you know what it is? It's sauerkraut. So I was in Germany when I was really little. My dad was in the army. We lived in an army base. We didn't actually live on base, but my first memories are of sausages and sauerkraut and mustard. And to this day, it actually might be my desert island food. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also very Midwestern and my family, part of my family is German. And so growing up, it, you know, there was always beer, sausage, sauerkraut, mustard, pickles. I mean, that's the story of uh -huh. my... <laughs> the most underrated ingredient. Caraway, I think. I okay. think caraway. Now you're getting, now I'm still on sauerkraut uh, because that, we put that in there. But um, I, I love caraway so much or celery. Overrated. Ooh, overrated ingredient. I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's, let me yeah. try to ask you something. Okay. Because it's, it's your job. Overrated ice cream, you believe, that's out there. <laughs> I just want to be clear. You can buy, you can get really great ice creams in all different price points. So I, I, I'm an ice cream lover and, and also really crappy ice cream in all price points. And I think when you get to the overrated ice cream, it's overworked. And that's true of, of, you know, art and food in general. But when you get ice cream, that's like bone marrow and whatever, just to get attention or, or it has too many ingredients, too many things going on. You just lose, you just lose people. I, I think that, you know, it becomes kind of irrelevant when, yeah. When you add too much, too many things to it. The best breakfast you can have. I mean, it's <laughs> fruit, okay. yogurt, and Formula One racing uh, on in the background. Really? Formula One racing in the backgrounds? Okay. That's like my perfect Sunday. You know, that's like the perfect, I mean, if I could have F1 racing and like, but like not just fruit and yogurt, but like a platter with like laid out gorgeously and then like yogurt, pop, you know, lemon and poppy seeds and honey. That is my perfect day. My Breakfast. stepdad used to make me watch the practices, which is the day before and the competition the day of. And I, you know, it's fine. But I remember being very young. I was like, can I just go play outside soccer or something? He's like, no, you sit right here in front of the television. <laughs> so. I like it because I like it uh, in the background. We watch it all the time growing up too. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I, it's fun. I like it. What is the strangest combination food-wise? And here, I'm going to give you an option also if you want to uh, involve ice cream. When people put two or three ingredients together that you just cannot accept. Um, let's see. Well, you know, I mean, I've seen people do things like, you know, try to be clever and do like a cayenne mint. And I just don't know. That doesn't work for me. I don't, it just, no. Also, I will say from my experience, you know, I think that like raspberry, Peppermint is a is a really lovely combination. 
So I was like, well, farmer's market, strawberry, spearmint, same farmer, let's do this. And it really was horrible. It tasted like double mint gum. You you think these beautiful ingredients are going to be perfect together, but but no, I mean, like somehow strawberry and spearmint cancel each other out and it ends up tasting like overchewed double mint gum. It's not good. <laughs> the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are actually two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? I'm for sure turning more chickens. Wait, wait, turning more turning chickens is, wait, what? That's the person <laughs> who has a lot of experience? Turning chickens I, I'm going, of... I need to go with the, the you know, not Ex having that much experience. <laughs> okay, the exceeded expectation, breaking dishes. You've been breaking a lot of dishes. Oh, for sure. For so, sure. That's at, how you, that's, how, that's advancement. At the end of the podcast, I always tell my guests to sell their fish. In Portugal, if someone tells to sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. You know, a lot of people know your work and your ice cream, but, you know, there's a lot of people also listening from Europe, but where people can find you, where people can find the ice cream. Is there anything, uh, I know you wrote a book a couple of years ago. Is there anything coming up soon or not? So just sell your, not sell your ice cream, sell your fish a little bit. Well, uh, you can you can find out everything you need to know at jennies.com. It's J-E-N-I-S. And then I'm Jenny Brittenbauer on Instagram. And I just think of my life through the lens of story and experience and being an explorer and getting the most out of um, sort of being an authentic human here to, you know, experience life. And so that's kind of my approach these days. And so I, I don't know, I'm just here to have fun now, I think. <laughs> And you're having a lot of fun, which is good. Right? I am having so much fun. I worked really hard in my life and I'm still working hard, but I'm only doing projects that I love. So many new things are, are happening, but we'll see. We'll see which one actually happens. <laughs> Jenny, thank you very much. If you ever need someone to just spend a whole day tasting ice cream, I'll go there. Just I'll okay. sit on a chair and I just start tasting everything. And that will be me tomorrow in the test kitchen, actually, at 10 okay. o'clock, 10 a.m. Like I said, off the record, I'm going to say on the record, and I'm sure a lot of people have said this before, but it's true. Your ice creams are delicious. So congratulations. It was a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much, Jenny, for coming on the podcast. You really, really should try her ice creams. They're absolutely delicious. So make sure you give that to a loved one, okay? A nice big pint of ice cream. Don't forget, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you do so. Share with your friends. Tell your friends all about the podcast while you eat ice cream. Why not? Follow us on the Instagram page at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes. Follow the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. And if you want to send me an email, you can do so to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dmartins. I'll be back next week. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you're happy. Eat some ice cream. Adios.